Okay, thank you. Um, thank all of you for being here, for this attention, and thanks for being invited. It's a great, great honor to be here in this institution. Um, so goes to you, Peter, and to you, um, Eric. Um, before I begin, I have to give uh, a small series of apologies. First apology is I'm not... <laughs> I'm not giving a talk at all, um, but I will go to read a paper, which is a different thing. I know that you're not expecting, in front of such a public, to read a paper, but um, um, under these conditions that expect me to do something precise, as you said, and condensed, um, I... Uh, just had to flee into that direction. And the second point, of course, is my very restricted command of your wonderful language that forces me to read the text. So apology for that. Um, next point is my paper is in some way, not in every way and respect, but in some way just the counter-program to what Boris just presented. Uh, and it is based not on Hegel, but on Jacques Tati. Um, <laughs> So it's based on moving images, and it deals with moving images, um, but we don't have any moving images here, uh, which is too bad, and I apologize for that too. So uh, I will try, for those who do not know the movie, this is the DVD I wanted to play some clips from. Um, for those who do not, are not, such, uh, not so acquainted with the movie, I will try to describe what you missed because here's no projection. Um, maybe it works, maybe not. So if nothing makes sense uh, of what I say, don't blame me. If you had the chance to see the images, it would have worked. Uh, third apology, or third... No, that's the third one is no apology, but it's... Um, uh, it's a first indication, maybe, of the direction everything in my paper, or maybe in other papers too, is uh, going to lead. Um, in your uh, initial statement, um, Peter, you mentioned that one of the questions, uh, you centered around the, the problem of, of the words. What is medium? What is media? What are media? What are mediums? Uh, and this is deferring from language to language. Of course, we have to deal with language problems. And then you said what media philosophy, and you said, you always say German. I mean, there is no such thing as German media. Come on. It's just Weimar media. No. <laughs> it's, well, nice idea, but it's, would be, no, not at all. No, there is some media theory and, and philosophy going on in Germany. I mean, we have this territory, which is called Germany, and there are some places where people do things, or you could say it's, it's, media theory written originally in German, but there is, of course, no such thing as German media, I mean, which they be. But the question in this kind of media philosophy is not so much what are media. It does not center around finding proper definitions for scientific terms. It's not language critique of what media studies do or something. Uh, the direction is more to find out what media do. What do media do? How do they do what they do? Um, it's not so interesting to... I mean, this is maybe one difference between uh, philosophy and media philosophy. And as far as I can see, media philosophy is, a, is the attempt to construct a complement to what philosophy does. I mean, philosophy is wonderful. Uh, whatever they do in philosophy is great and helpful uh, and, and very bright and complicated, much too complicated for people like me. But... Um, there is a complement um, to philosophy, and media philosophy does not ask for what is a medium, 
or our media, but what do they do? What are the operations uh, they perform and what is produced by these operations? And we don't read text so much um, and we don't deal with concepts so much, but we read processes and operations, or we try to do that. And it is in this sense, and now I leave you for a couple of minutes. Please excuse me, I'm going into my text. I'll be back in 15 minutes. Um, uh, this is what I'm trying to outline very briefly with the help of non-existent scenes from Jacques Tati. And my paper has a headline, and it's called Ontogenetic Machinery. Ontogenetic Machinery. Media as considered by media philosophy, are, and that's what you already said, not what you expect them to be at all. In the first place, media in this sense have almost nothing to do with information or broadcast or transmission or communication or data processing or storage. They do not as such, for instance, produce sense or distribute meanings. If they do so, it is a side effect or a secondary function, and there are other disciplines that can wonderfully analyze these processes of sense production. In the first place, media are complex assemblies of material objects and subjects, and operations and handlings, mostly technical apparatuses and human gestures, but not exclusively. But not only do media base on or integrate physical or biological matter in operations and actions. The well-known sociology of the so-called actor network, as developed by Bruno Latour, John Law, Michel Calon, and others, states that the inverse is as true. Any physical practice, any relation to objects, and any making and producing of material reality, as for immaterial reality, if such a thing exists, is dependent on mediating processes such as reference or transformation or translation. Since reference and translation are on their turn based on material media, we might say that through media, things cooperate in the production and reproduction of things. <clears throat> specific media then could be seen as specific sets of material operations by which the things involved in one media produce things or medium, my bad English, reflect and represent things and reproduce themselves as material collectives. Hence, media function as operators or bundles of operators by which the material world which surrounds us is generated in the first place. Media are ontogenetic machineries. To put it simple, they are operative assemblies which produce and assemble and reproduce things and subjects and operations, including themselves. Cut. And what is most surprising about media and what discerns them from pure tools is that they themselves seem to know of all of this. This is, in the end, what makes a media a media, not only a technical device. So if you want to find out what media are, or what they want, or what they in fact do, just ask them, 
they bear the answers. With the help of one tiny, modest example, I would like to demonstrate this. Okay, let's turn to Playtime. In his film Playtime of 1967, French, and I may say genius, filmmaker Jacques Tati reaches for a further development of his cinematic reflection on the material world which he had begun since his first film in the late 40s. In his previous comedies, Tati had already advanced a critique of things, a critique of things, in German I would say, Gegenstände, as counterparts and instruments of human action. And, second, a critique of objects as submitted to designation to sense and meaning. Now, in Playtime in 67, he pushes forward to a more general critique of materiality as such, or an analysis of materiality as such. And moreover, he investigates the assembly of objects and operation that a media, a specific media, is, and in his case, it's film. So he investigates what film is. And by doing so, he gives us some very useful hint at media as ontogenetic machineries. The first scene you miss, it's a very short two minutes, is very simple. It's at the, uh, almost at the beginning of the film. I mean, it's a very long movie, if you know it, so the beginning is after, let's say, uh, 15 or 17 minutes. Everything here starts very simple. The hero of the movie, of course, is Monsieur Hulot, played by Jacques Tati himself. And after some hint and here, Monsieur Hulot is led to a waiting room. Here, he um, has something to organize. I think it's an insurance building or some official building. A modern, let's say a modern life insurance building or something. Um, he's led to a waiting room and here he discovers the seats. Their upholstery can be transformed as if they were made of a soft modeling material. They keep the mark of the impact for a little while, and then they very slowly get back to their former regular shape and volume. Doing so, they produce softer or louder sounds. They breathe, they hiss, they sob and sigh and plop, and I don't say more. <laughs> They seemingly, they're seemingly autonomous, regaining the original shape because of its slowness, bears the character of the delayed reaction, which we know from slapstick movies. And this leads us back to an old topos of film aesthetics, to the tradition of the own will of things in the moving image. Monsieur Hulot is being surprised when the seat comes back. He goes mm. like this corresponds to the more or less sudden appearance of the seat's acting as if it were on its own behalf. As solid and defined objects and even instrumental devices, the seats nonetheless have dynamic and plastic or pl plastic qualities. Doubtlessly, the seats are objects. They are residing in space and resistant against time, more or less. But at the same time, the seats are more or less formless matter, prepare to being shaped and to bear marks so they are physical media, like walks, for instance. As objects, they are functional parts of the system, of the whole building, related to the world according to necessities and affordances. <coughs> As media, 
Though they bear and they offer an indefinite number of possible alternative forms and statuses they can produce. They constantly oscillate between these two poles, and Monsieur Hulot, for minutes, is fascinated by watching this movement. Another example for Tati's oscillating conception of things is, but maybe you like to hear that, maybe not, is the sound design. In classical Hollywood sound uh, period, sound as the language of things, and sound, I would say, is not the same thing as noise, Sound as the language of things is clearly contrasted to human language in this classical tradition. In playtime, this contrast is undermined and wiped out. There is a fluent, continuous transformation from the background humming of the building itself. The building itself produces a constant sound that is interrupted only once when Monsieur Hulot enters into a consultation room with all these guys that's uh, sitting around the table and having a very important conference and, and he opens this door and the sound is away. That's when you um, uh, get aware of, of the sound, that it's there. From there, the way goes via the more distinct traffic noise, like here, via people's mumbling, muttering and babbling to overlapping fragments of verbal utterances in different languages. Moreover, it seems that some sounds were by far more clearly defined, sharper and easier to grasp than all spoken language. Comes in a second businessman. I think he is an American, or he is the caricature of an American. And he sits down on the seat, and, and then he makes all these exact gestures, uh, like opening his um, uh, serviette, um, his, his, his suitcase, briefcase. Take, briefcase, taking something out, making like... Uh, and other no, very precise no, uh, um, sounds connected to very precise gestures. So here it seems that the sounds were by far more clearly defined, sharper and easier to grasp than all spoken language. So sound and language change place, the latter appearing less as defined form and more as a source of sound material, the former as clearly articulated. Together, again, they figure somewhere between mere raw material on one hand and well-defined acoustic object on the other. Next, we would have to mention the glass window. The window pane in Tati is marked by two boundaries. The first boundary is separating or bridging the gap between the pane as instrumental device and the pane as object of perception. For any physical action, the pane is a solid and impenetrable counterpart an object which cannot be transcended. There is this scene uh, where we, we don't even see the window. It's so big, it's bigger than the screen. And on the outside, there comes this servant man. And on the inside, it's a concierge. And the servant man asks for, for uh, a match. Um, and the concierge um, is not able to pass it over because there is a window. Uh, and he has to give a signal so that the other one comes to the door. The hand does not go through, for instance, to pass a match to the smoker. For perception, though, at least for the gaze, the pain is not an object, but completely permeable, transparent, and as such, as for us as uh, spectators of the film, non-existent. It is not an object of perception. Nonetheless, it is once again an instrument of perception. It makes something invisible visible, namely the outside of the building, which would not be visible if there was a wall instead of a window. And here, the second boundary is articulated. It separates the view through the pane from the reflection on its surface 
or mirror function. Assuming the mirror function, the window makes an object visible at some place where it is not. The object seen in the mirror visually and virtually changes place. Tati now, in the next shot, arranges the two windows in the office building. It's the outer window, and then you have a second row of windows as doors to let people go through. And you have two uh, curtains of glass, if you want. Uh, Tati now arranges the two windows in the office building in such a way that the two persons, Monsieur Hulot and the office clerk, clerk he is looking for, can see each other as object of perception in one place and at the same time object of reflection in another place. On top of this, in this scene, I, I can't even describe. It's very simple, it's just 30 seconds, but it would take 10 minutes to describe. Uh, on top of this, each man watches the other watching him and tries to arise his attention by making gestures. Thus, it's no longer clear who sees whom and where in space locates him. Each of both is the effect of the double presence of the other, which itself is an effect of the transparent pane at the same time serving as reflecting mirror. Two visual spaces, or if one might say two topologies, as John Law would put it, interfere and generate objects of vision. And the whole interplay is comic. It has all these inner relations and effects, and it's not made visible For the characters, they do not know what's going on, but for us, the spectators, with the help of the moving image. So after the, after the transparent pane and the reflecting mirror, there is a third object, which is the moving image itself, the film. Being an instrument of perception and reflection at the same time, as well as their object, as well as their material cause, the moving image is presented here as the main object of the whole sequence. The construction of pain and mirror could be read, of course, as an allegory of the cinematic situation. The clerk and Monsieur Lowe cannot interact physically, but only look at each other, other, such as we can only look at them without being able to reach them. This has at length been studied by theories of cinema. But here, we have not only to do with allegory and significance and meaning, but with physical presence and operation. As object of physical involvement, the moving image is integrated in the sequence through the geometry of space. The camera does not say outside the space, made visible by that very camera itself, but it takes a precise place within this space. Otherwise, the interplay of reflection and transparent view would not work. The camera, too, although invisible in this sequence, is mirrored in to be more precise It assigns a place to itself and hence to our imaginary viewpoint. And doing so, the camera articulates itself as three-dimensional object in a three-dimensional space of the action it depicts. The image itself is present as condition for the presence of the objects to be seen in the image. So, to quickly summarize, Tati points at, let's say, the thingness of things, first at their tactile quality as we have seen the upholstery sequence, Second, at their acoustic quality in the relation of sound and speech. And finally, in their visual givenness by playing with the window pane and its complicated spatial structure. He explores the relation of these three, especially the, the relation of the visible and the audible. In this very difference now of sight or light and sound, 
Tati finds the difference of space and time, and he defines the overlapping of both differences exactly at, as what makes film possible. And to see that, we examine another and last shot, and this is a, a very famous one. We look into uh, a corridor, a very long corridor that stretches into the depth of the image. Um, and in front, in, in the uh, foreground, you have this niche, and Monsieur Hulot is there waiting for the clerk to arrive from the very depth of the image. The the, uh, Monsieur Hulot waiting in his corner can only hear but not see the clerk coming closer, contrary to us and to the camera, who can see both. The perspective shortens the deepness of the, of the depth of the image space, so the clerk seems to almost stay in his place while walking, and as we know, uh, the actor really did walk on the, on the spot. His steps, audible and well visible by his arm gesture, it performs like this and has steps like clack, 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 so it's the watch gesture. His steps, audible and well visible by his arm gesture, give a precise time measurement. But measured time here does not fit the action with the effect that the clerk seems to approach and not to approach as at the same time. For a certain amount of time, he seems not to be able to leave his place in space, and, seems no, and time seems not to be able to leave him. Our gaze is paralleled within the picture by a third gaze, which is the one of the concierge, who is, all, uh, who is still there. Monsieur Hulot's not being able to see is Monsieur Hulot's not being able to see is the source of the comic effect when he's getting more and more impatient and standing up a couple of times, held back by the concierge, because he thinks the clerk to be arriving. So in this sequence, the object constituted is the constitution of the object. The constitution of the object, the approaching clerk, for instance, owes itself to the non-homogeneity, to the difference and even disturbance between different modes of constitution, the visual, the acoustic, time and space. They overlap and interact here, but they do stay incongruent, and the effect of this incongruency is the approach, uh, the approaching clock. So since cinema can easily be defined as a specific form of organization of these four physical media, sound, light, time, and space, the object here is a mediatic effect. For theorist John Law, objects appear at intersections and interferences of different topologies. In Tati, not only different topologies, but different media, such as space and time and light and sound, intersect and interfere to make things possible. With Tati and extending law, we can get an idea of how complicated this process can be. To create an object, we need not only one medium, but two or more media that interfere with each other. In the course of such an interference, two or more ways of organizing matter in space and time in vision and sound, get into conflict. What we call a thing or an object derives, according to Tati, from such a conflict. By no means I think that this is true, but I think it's um, the idea that the film bears. And we shall never forget that Tati, the filmmaker and author and subject, of course, is no one else but Monsieur Hugo himself, the very effect created by this interplay of media. Cinema, again, according to Tati, is nothing else but a special place where the crossing and intersecting of different media is systematically organized and observed and explored as if it were a laboratory. 
the emergence and appearance of things and of authors on film could be seen as byproduct or side effect of these experiments. As a media, film is a continuous processing, ex experimenting with the intersection and mutual disturbances of light, sound, time, and space. Media other than film may and will operate differently, but following Tati's approach, the hypothesis goes that what we call media in general is nothing less than a complex, reified operator which creates and generates what we might look upon as perceptible or physically given reality. It is ontogenetic machinery. Thank you. <laughs>